Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Mary Trump joins the Midas Touch podcast today to discuss the authentic draft Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. This is the Midas Touch podcast. Ben, Brett, and Jordy joining you this week when we were recording our last podcast the news broke that the draft uh, decision from the supreme court had been leaked it has now been authenticated as an accurate draft of the supreme court we'll have as i mentioned mary trump to discuss but that has been really you know the singular focus as it should of this week and as it should for the weeks to come until we codify Roe v. Wade as law. Brett Jordy, great having you on this pod to discuss these issues today, as difficult as it may be. Man, it's great. It's great to be here. It's been a really, uh, really tough week. Obviously, that news was was seismic in its impact and really just rocked the country. And it happened, like you said, while we were recording the last episode. So we weren't able to discuss it on the previous episode. But I'm really excited to dig in now. Uh, you know, very aware of the fact of, you know, three guys here discussing abortion uh, may be a little off, but that's why I'm really excited to bring in Mary Trump, who is one of the most passionate fighters for democracy, just an incredible advocate on this issue in particular as well. And I'm really excited to get her thoughts and really just cede the floor to her and let her discuss what's on her mind. Um, it's been it's been tough and it's been a really tough week for us. And I just could only imagine how hard this has been for the women in America who are going to be personally affected by this decision. I mean, we're all affected, but they, of course, are going to be incredibly affected by this decision. And I think we all knew that it was coming. Ben, I know you and Popak on Legal AF have discussed this quite frequently. You have sounded the alarm and never sugarcoated it, what was going to happen. But I think the fact that this leaked early the fact that it is real, I think we none, nobody could actually prepare for those moments when they actually occur. We all have fears about things that are going to happen. We all know that there are bad things coming in our future in regards to a variety of things. But when they actually happen, nothing can prepare you exactly for the feeling and for your reaction for that. Jordi, how have you been? No, it's such a great point, Brent. It's such a great point. You could talk about it, you know, as much as we have talked about it on this podcast. I think we ask every guest uh, who's in a position of power, hey, what are you going to do when this happens? You know, what what state laws can you implement? Um, it's why we made it a focus to really dig in there. Mm -hmm. And it's just, 
like you said, I mean, you're never really prepared for something like that. And then it happens. And all of a sudden, you know, you just feel like you got hit by a bus. Yeah. And we got to be allies. I mean, that's, I think our role, I think we need to be advocates. And I think we have been advocates on this issue now for a while. Like you said, Jordy, we always make that a priority when we speak with our guests to ask them about this specific issue. We've always brought this to the forefront. And Ben, if you could, could you just bring us through the leak draft decision, what it says, what their justification is here? So let me break it down from the legal perspective. Obviously, we have a lot of longtime listeners of the podcast. For those who are just tuning into the podcast for the first time, I graduated from Georgetown Law in 2010. I practiced civil rights law for most of my career. And so I'm familiar with these decisions. And so uh, there was a court case with oral argument that was heard several years ago. Oral argument is when the parties go in front of the Supreme Court. This involves cases that work their way up through the judicial system over many, many years. Oftentimes they're filed by groups that have agendas to try to overturn precedent like Roe v. Wade. And so it's part of a existing plan by Republicans in the Federalist Society dating back decades to get this law overturned. But this law slowly worked its way through the court system. Um, eventually, it was held that Roe v. Wade was the law of the land in a case involving Mississippi's 15-week ban on abortions. That ban was then challenged in a case in, called Dobbs. And the Dobbs case went before the Supreme Court for oral argument. And uh, you have six radical right extremist judges, three who were appointed by Donald Trump on the Supreme Court. So they have a six to three majority. The Chief Justice Roberts is someone who people think is a little more moderate, if you want to say that, although he's horrible on a lot of issues, including or most issues, including voting rights, where he's completely gutted voting rights to allow the types of legislation that's getting passed to um, ban abortions. But, you know, setting that aside, you have a six to three court. And so this court accepted in what's called cert, certiori, the ability to hear a case. So people said, why is the Supreme Court hearing a case on a well-established law, Roe v. Wade, and a law that's seeking to overturn Roe v. Wade? And seeing the composition, lots of people were nervous. Then when the oral argument took place, what the judges were saying was that Roe v. Wade was bad law. And so what I've been saying consistently since that oral argument several months ago, I said, best case scenario, the uh, 15-week abortion ban, this would be a horrible scenario, but this was the best case. Mm -hmm. The 15-week abortion ban is upheld, but Roe v. Wade still remains the law of the land before that 15-week abortion ban. And the 15-week abortion ban is including rape and and incest and even where the mother could die um, as a result of of the birth. I mean, that's that's what they're talking about, ectopic pregnancies as well. And so I've been saying it over and over again. They're going to overturn Roe. They're going to overturn Roe. At best, they're going to uphold the 15-week. And I've been saying this is going to have a cataclysmic effect on the country. And then what happens is after oral argument takes place, the Supreme Court has clerks who help draft the opinion. These clerks often come from the top law schools across the country, and they circulate opinions. So first they take a vote right after in which way um, they're going to decide kind of very shortly after 
oral argument, and then they start circulating the majority opinion of the court and who's going to write it. Here, it was evidently Justice Alito, a Bush appointee um, who uh, was writing this opinion. So that gets circulated. And then you have concurring opinions and you have dissenting opinions that circulate. And so the dissent is often written by, as it sounds, the people who are not in the majority, the three justices who are not in the majority or whichever justices are not in the majority to challenge the majority opinion. But the majority opinion is the opinion of the court. It is very, very, very rare that an opinion like this, you know, would leak out. It, it is actually fairly unprecedented, but the likely source to the extent it even matters, you know, because the last thing I'm thinking about or really care about is the leak. I care about the, the mm -hmm. implications here, though, is someone who would want to entrench the majority to not change their view and to keep their views the same now that a majority opinion was circulating. If someone wanted to leak that the Supreme Court was going to overturn Roe v. Wade to try to stop them from doing it, you would do that right. I mean, if you were going to do it right after the majority vote is taken to try to persuade their minds, not after the actual opinion is mm. circulated where the justices are actually written and on record what they believe in. So that's why it actually leads me to believe it's it's someone from the majority um, mm. of the Supreme Court. And as we know, they do actually have members who support insurrection. So that's my legal breakdown for you. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, we're not really concerned about the leak here. We're concerned, like you said, about the fact that the Supreme Court is about to roll back people's rights for one of the first times in modern history, at least. And I, I think a lot of these people on the right will have eggs on their face. And I hope that they keep this impeach them, fire them energy if it does, in fact, turn out to be somebody on the right who leaked it. And I think there were a lot of troubling things in that Supreme Court draft decision. Um, I mean, Justice Alito, in one paragraph, he relies on a 17th century English jurist named Sir Matthew Hale to justify his decision. Sir Matthew Hale had two women executed for witchcraft, and he said it should be legal for husbands to rape their wives. This is somebody who he is using as precedent, a 17th century English jurist. He described Roe v. Wade as not rooted in our history, which I thought is a bizarre take because so many of our rights, which are now fundamental rights, are not rooted in our history. I mean, women's rights are not rooted in our history. Women were not even included in the Constitution in any way. Uh, the rights of Black Americans, the rights of LGBTQ, LGBTQ Americans. None of that is rooted in our history. Our goal should never be to try to have our current laws reflect history. Our goal should be to remedy history and to try to make an, a, a better America going forward. And I read a great article this morning in The New Yorker, which I, I recommend everybody check out, which speaks to this effect and speaks to how flawed the arguments are in this draft document. And the Republican states are already you know, armed with their laws. Many of them, over a dozen, have these trigger laws, which will ban abortion outright once this comes to be. Uh, Louisiana is already passing a new fetal personhood bill, which House Republicans voted out of committee seven to two. This would make abortion a crime of homicide from the moment of fertilization and allow prosecutors to charge patients with murder. So the reality is here is that this will criminalize women for existing and it will turn them. And in a sick way, here's a realistic scenario of the quote unquote pro-life crew. A woman could have an abortion 
a week after she finds out she is pregnant. She could be charged with murder and then she could be sentenced to death, the death penalty. That's the sick nature of Republicans. This has nothing to do with being pro-baby. If you were pro-baby and pro-child, you would be pouring money into maternity care. You would allow women to choose. You would support universal pre-K. You would support child tax credits. You would be doing things to actually help children and help mothers and help parents. That's what you would do if you actually cared about life. But these people do not care about life. And it's a slippery slope, which is a very real slippery slope where now all these other rights, and these were mentioned in the decision, Obergefell versus Hodges, the case that legalized same-sex marriage, Griswold versus Connecticut, the, the case that said that people have the right to get birth control. These are all on the line and more now. I think all of our rights are on the line after this decision because it fundamentally refutes the right to privacy which has been enshrined in our constitution and reaffirmed and reaffirmed. And we released an ad called Lying GOP, which I hope all of you get a chance to watch, uh, has over a million views cross-platform, which showed during the confirmation hearings of all the justices who voted to strike down Roe in this draft decision, showed them all reciting basically verbatim the same exact script about Roe v. Wade, basically saying that it's precedent upon precedent and that a good judge would never reverse something that is ingrained in precedent like that. Well, I guess they're just proving that they weren't good judges if they're going to reverse this precedent. I guess that's the only takeaway that I could see other than the fact that they just completely lied under oath during their hearings about how they would handle this issue. Yeah, where else can you lie on your job interview except the highest court in the land? Just under oath, right, right, Ben? Yeah, under oath. Of course, of course, totally, totally under oath. And in addition to lying GOP, we also released a video called GOP Handmaid's Tale, which has over one and a half million views on Twitter alone as of the time of recording. Um, this was actually, we, we did a variation of this video during the 2020 election, and we called it then What's at Stake. And the video depicts a mother and her daughter crossing a border, and she's pulled over by the police, and the police are inquiring why they're leaving a particular state to go to another state. And the mother's trying to lie and so nervous for the daughter. And it's because the daughter's trying to get reproductive care in the adjacent state where they allow for that to take place. And it's basically the cop who's going to pull her, arrest her, um, and potentially charge her with attempted murder. When we released that in 2020, people were saying, stop panicking, stop scaring people. This is from all sides too. I would say we got this from the left and the right, everybody. You know what I was thinking this morning? You know what I was thinking this morning, Brett? You know, and and I I don't mean to make light of it, but it was an analogy that kind of, that came to my mind. Um, The song, uh, the You Don't Care About Bruno kind of came in and everyone was angry at Bruno because Bruno was just like trying to say. Yeah, that's a great point. What was happening? What was gonna? Yeah, what was happening? Like what, what was, was happening? Happen. And then people would just get angry at Bruno. And sometimes I feel like the Democrats like are Bruno. That, that's a brilliant analysis. Yeah, that's an yeah. absolutely brilliant analysis because I think if there's any superpower of the Republicans, and I previously I've previously said that shamelessness is their superpower, but I think one of the superpowers of Republicans is making people blame Democrats when they take away your rights. 
Mm-hmm. And I've seen this all too much. The Republicans will go so extreme and they will use their super majorities in their state houses to strip away fundamental rights of Americans. And then they are able to get Democrats to say, hey, Democrats, why aren't you doing anything to stop this when there's really no mechanism there for them to stop it? And then you get the activists and you get people on the Democratic side saying, you know what, I'm not even voting for Democrats if you're not going to protect X, Y and Z. Well, everybody, that's how we got here due to those same exact comments in 2016. It's why this election is the most important election of your lifetime. It's why that has become a cliche, because it's true, because we lose one election like the 2016 election, all of a sudden there are Supreme Court justices embedded in the court that are there to take away your rights. And guess what? There's really no recourse that can happen once that's done, other than electing more Democrats to try to prevent a further stripping away of rights or to get more Democrats in there to get super majorities so that on the national level, it looks like the state level in places like California, where you have super majorities to actually protect these rights. You don't see, by the way, and by the way, I was looking at this the other day, Brett, if you look at places where there are democratic governors with super majorities, you have budget surpluses Mm -hmm. like in all of these states, Um, especially where there's a democratic governor. One of the issues is where you have, for example, like in Wisconsin, you have a democratic governor like Evers um, and you have a Republican legislature. They don't, they refuse to spend the surplus on the people. Mm-hmm. That's why I'm, I'm really I'm so sick of people blaming Democrats for the actions of Republicans. I'm sick of it. I am so, so sick of it. To bring that contrast out and let's just show some of the commentary following the decision. Um, and perhaps we can start by showing a clip of Elizabeth Warren following the release of the draft. I, I've never seen you so angry. You seem to be. This is what the Republicans have been working toward this day for decades. They have been out there plotting, carefully cultivating these Supreme Court justices so they could have a majority on the bench who would accomplish something that the majority of Americans do not want. 69% of people across this country, across this country, red states and blue states, old people and young people, want Roe versus Wade to maintain as the law of the the land. We need to do that. And we have a right. Extremists, we've heard enough from the extremists. This is the energy I I, I like to see. And this is the anger and the passion that I think all Democrats need to have right now, because people's lives are literally at stake here. And so it's good to see a fighter like Elizabeth Warren out there fighting for our rights and showing how dangerous this truly is. I think also let's show Vice President Harris, because I think she had some great words on this issue. And and let's hear from her. What we say, how dare they? tell a woman what she can do and cannot do with her own body. How dare they? How dare they try to stop her from determining her own future? How dare they try to deny women their rights and their freedoms? How dare they? How dare they? I mean, I I think that sums it up. Two incredible, incredibly powerful speeches. I mean, back to back. 
You know, one thing I think I, 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 this isn't a new clip. It's an old clip that was circulating of Pete Buttigieg uh, on the campaign trail. And he was confronted by Chris Wallace uh, during a kind of a town hall style conversation. And he was specifically asked the question, so you support abortions during the third trimester? And that's often, as Pete talks about, a way to try to inject a hypothetical that's not really a situation that occurs frequently. Um, and as Pete discusses, it happens less than 1% of the time. And Pete artfully discusses what that actually means rather than framing it the way Republicans try to frame that issue. And so if you play that clip. I trust women to draw the line when it's their own. So, so just to be clear, just to be clear, you're saying that you would be okay with a woman well into the third trimester deciding to abort her pregnancy. Look, the, these hypotheticals are usually set up in order to provoke a strong well, no, emotional... No, but it's not hypothetical. There are 6,000 women a year who get abortions in the third That's trimester. right, representing less than 1% of cases. I know, but, but 6,000 pregnancies. Let's take ourselves in... Yeah. So let's put ourselves in the shoes of a woman in that situation. If it's that late in your pregnancy, that means almost by definition, you've been expecting to carry it to term. We're talking about women who have perhaps chosen a name, women who have purchased a crib, families that then get the most devastating medical news of their lifetime, something about the health or the life of the mother that forces them to make an impossible, unthinkable choice. And the bottom line is, uh, as horrible as that choice is, uh, uh, that woman, that family may seek uh, spiritual guidance, they may seek medical guidance, but it's, that decision's not going to be made any better, medically or morally, because the government is dictating how that decision should be made. I mean, and that right there is why I think Pete Buttigieg is, is one of the best messengers this party has. The fact that he could go on Fox News of all places and deliver that message and have it resonate in that way. And I think everybody needs to take notes from the way that Pete Buttigieg speaks about this yes. issue. I think I think that is the exact way that you speak about these things. And everybody needs to remember something like 70 percent, give or take, of Americans support Roe v. Wade. They support women having the right to choose. So I think it is absolutely out of line of Republicans to do this. It is radical. And we need to continue to express how dangerous these are because the people who are going to be affected by this are going to be our mothers, our sisters, our daughters, the people you know. And there are so many people in your lives, by the way, who have had to get abortion care that you don't even know about. This affects more people than you think. And they are coming for contraception next. They are coming for same-sex marriage next. And they're not even hiding it. I mean, you have Ben Shapiro. I don't even know if we have to play the clip, but he already said on his show yesterday or two days ago, he said, guess what? I think that uh, uh, Bergefell versus Hodges, that should go too. That was bad decision. That was bad law. That should go. That should be up to the states. That's the entire kind of mindset of these Republicans, that all the progress that we've made going back to civil rights and beyond, that all that progress was a mistake and that it needs to be corrected. And that's what we are up against. And that's why it is so important 
that we continue to vote and we don't take any election for granted at the local level, at the state level, at the federal level. We need to get out to the polls every single time because we see the consequences of what happens if we slip up even just once. You know, and the talking points again from the Republicans, again, I don't even want to play the clip because his voice just will make me probably vomit. Is <laughs> he Don, is one of the most annoying people, right? It's you're, you're, you're talking about Don Jr. now. Yeah, we're definitely talking about Don Jr. right now. And it's Don Jr. I don't even want to play the clip because just thinking about Don Jr. kind of makes me want to vomit. But it's a clip of Don Jr. speaking at like a thousand words a second saying stuff like, can you believe it? The leak? Oh my God, this leak is the greatest, the worst travesty in the history of the United States constitution is the leak, the leak, the leak, the leak. And he just sounds like an absurd. It sounds like a bad impression of his father on Coke is what is what also sounds like a bad impression of Don Jr. I mean, the guy is literally, he's got one of the most annoying sort of tenors, if you would, of how he delivers. And that though is that's their position that the leak of the draft opinion is a biggest travesty on the privacy rights of the United States Supreme Court, not the United States Supreme Court overturning the fundamental privacy rights of women. And we're going to bring in Mary Trump now to talk about the decision, her views on it, where we go from here. And before we do that, we'll take a brief moment to hear from our sponsors. Hey, what's holding you back from the ultimate gaming experience? Is it the hundreds of dollars it costs you to set up? Or are you the busy on the go type with only minutes to spare? Level up your game with Backbone, the universal gaming essential that lets you instantly play hundreds of console games on your iPhone, no console required. Backbone is the newest game-changing essential that transforms your iPhone into a handheld console so you can play anywhere, anytime. Simply plug in your phone, iPhone to the Backbone and enjoy console quality controls with responsive buttons and triggers, clickable analog sticks, and more as you play Xbox, PlayStation, PC, and App Store games. Now, what I love about Backbone, it lets you explore the thousands of worlds from Spider-Man to Madden and Grand Theft Auto. This thing is an absolute blast. If you don't own a console, no problem. Stream hundreds of games like FIFA, Halo, Minecraft, and more through cloud gaming services like Xbox Game Pass, NVIDIA GeForce Now, and Google Stadia. And even if you already have a PlayStation, Xbox, or PC, play games you own with Remote Play or the Streamlink app. Experience for yourself what TechCrunch calls the closest we've ever seen to a portable Xbox. So look, this is what you have to do. Go to playbackbone.com slash Midas now to order your backbone until June 30th and get, listen to this, get free access to over 350 console games and perks, including one month free of Xbox Game Pass Ultimate, one month free of Apple Arcade, two months free of Google Stadia Pro, and three months free of Discord Nitro. Find your next adventure at playbackbone.com slash Midas. Jordy, could you imagine getting these as a gift as a kid or anything? I mean, I love it right now. I cannot imagine like using Backbone like in the car on trips or using it as a controller for my consoles or using it around. Like this is the coolest product of all time. Literally the coolest product of all time, Brett. And you know what you say, isn't it cool? You know, if we have this as a kid, Brett, even better, we have it when we're 30. Heck yeah. (laughs) I know what I'm doing later tonight. So (laughs) after the show. So again, find your next adventure at playbackbone.com slash Midas. 
And now back to the show. Welcome back to the Midas Touch podcast. We are joined by Mary Trump, friend of the pod, host of the Mary Trump show, which is also live on YouTube. And Mary Trump, who, of course, we know is a warrior for democracy, who just needs no introduction. Mary Trump, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, guys. I'm, I really appreciate uh, your having me on today. These very dark times. Very dark times. And, you know, one of the things we were talking about just before we started recording is kind of all knew this was coming. I mean, I've said it and you've been saying it on, and anyone who observed the oral arguments in the Dobbs Mississippi case saw the writing on the wall, but with the leak, it, it just felt a little different now that it's real, I suppose. What's your reaction to, to everything going on now? Yeah, I, I think that's true, but the uh, decision itself is so horrific and extreme that, uh, again, it's Alito, so that shouldn't be surprising either. But the fact that he uh, refers to Roe as um, an egregious wrong, I think that's the quote. Uh, definitely the word egregious was in there somewhere. Essentially comparing it to Plessy v. Ferguson um, and uh, some of the other most horrific Supreme Court decisions. The difference, of course, being that Plessy v. Ferguson and the other cases Alito cites um, took rights away from people. Uh, Roe expanded rights for at least half of the population, right? Um, yep. So it's extreme. The arguments are in such bad faith. I think David Rothkopf, but it's it not, sorry, Josh Marshall, uh, it's traditionalism masquerading as originalism. So it has nothing to do with what is or is not constitutional. The fact that he says that abortion isn't mentioned in the constitution almost made my head explode. Um, but Insanity. I think that the shock, um, the horror is yeah, because we weren't expecting it yet, just yet, but it also reminds me the extent to which Democrats are so often behind the eight ball, uh, behind the curve and don't get out in front of things, you know? And I think it's, it's sort of a failure of imagination. Um, I'm very sorry, but what would a visit on Midas Touch podcast be? <laughs> I think he just loves you guys. I'm not really... <laughs> I mean, I could for the audio listeners, Mary would, just but... Mary's bird has uh, made another cameo appearance on the show. You may remember Mary's bird from the previous episode when it flew on her shoulder, as well as the one before that. I think we're three for three. <laughs> Mary, I just have I have an important question, Mary. So does the bird just kind of fly around in the house? I mean, what's That's what's going question. on? What goes on with the bird? He he owns the place. Actually, <laughs> he he rules the cats. He runs my life. Right. Anyway, he's also very upset. So sorry to interrupt, but uh, yeah, I just, somebody, uh, people have been talking about this in terms of dominoes. This is the first domino. It's not the first domino and it certainly isn't going to be the last. So let's not wait for the other dominoes to fall, right? Um, so that's sort of just my general feeling at the moment. Yeah, the, the dominoes have been falling every year um, over the past several decades in this direction leading to this ruling, those dominoes accelerated uh, from 2016 to 2020. 
Yes. And you mentioned that it's traditionalism, you know, masquerading as originalism or, or something to that extent. I think you put it better in, in your tweet, which is, quote, the illegitimate right-wing majority on the United States Supreme Court is pro-rape, pro-incest, anti-women, and anti-child. All of those things are not hyperbole. There's actually embodied in Justice Alito's majority opinion, the draft which was leaked, is it not? They were, indeed. And they, they have been in many of this court's, well, you can't even call them, them opinions. They're because they keep using shadow dockets and not bothering to explain themselves to the American people. Um, so the right, the right wing of the Supreme Court has embodied all of those things for quite some time. And um, I, you know, John Roberts owns this. Uh, he may have wanted them to be more strategic when it comes to Roe v. Wade, because he knows that it, it takes away um, incentive to get Republicans to the polls if uh, they don't have to keep fighting this fight. But he's been at the leading edge of dismantling voting rights um, and uh, corrupting our elections with Citizens United, et cetera. So it isn't just about Roe. It's, it's, it's just in general, the contempt these people have for Americans who are not like them, uh, which goes way back. Um, in my last book, I, I wrote an entire chapter about how the Supreme Court is one of the most anti-democratic institutions in this country. And they're, they just keep proving the point. I wanna talk about what the ruling, the action, setting aside the words of the ruling. When this draft becomes the law of the land and Roe v. Wade is, um, overruled what are we going to see around the country chaos <laughs> uh that's for sure um and it it it's going to depend on on the states we are now in a situation which in which a governor can decide whether or not women people pregnant people in their state have the right to bodily autonomy uh have the right to privacy um, we have states that have uh, what are called zombie laws. They're pre-row extreme anti-choice uh, laws that went dormant after Roe, uh, but were never taken off the books. Those will kick in immediately. Um, we have other states, uh, you know, Texas with its cruel quote unquote, heartbeat law, SBA, started a trend in other states, Florida, uh, Missouri, I believe, et cetera. So that's going to happen in at least half of the states. Uh, we're going to see states that support choice and bodily autonomy for people being overwhelmed by people traveling across state lines. I mean, the, the landscape will be, it won't be the same as it was pre-Roe uh, because we have things like RU4046, um, but you know, that'll become a black market. It's going to be a disaster, but what we need to remember is that in some states it already is. Women in Texas are officially second-class citizens. They do not have the full rights of an American citizen 
And uh, that's just obviously going to become true. And even if, you know, just because I live in a blue state doesn't mean it isn't true because it's a federal mandate. So, you know, if I only have rights in certain states and not in others, how does that not make, you know, uh, relegate me to second class status? But of course, you know, black Americans have been dealing with this forever. And of course it will be worse for them and it will be worse for poor people, but that's the way the right likes it. And we talk about the dominoes and this ruling, um, if it stands, which it seems it will, is horrific. And with the, uh, the way it's written, removing uh, or challenging the very concept of a privacy right, of fundamental privacy rights, that means the, uh, the right for gay marriage, the right sounds wild when I've been reading stuff like this, but that women weren't allowed to own credit cards in their names until like 1971 and 1972. And mm -hmm. that was a right that came from these fundamental rights that the constitution doesn't literally say you have the right to have your name in a credit card, but comes from these fundamental principles. Um, the right to contraception, the just very basic things. That's what they're coming for in the next term. Yeah, they're, they're, they've already been talking about it. There's no reason for us not to take these people at their word, except for the ju justices who lied <laughs> during their confirmation hearings to get on the court. We should not take them at their word. Uh, and you know that's another that's another issue entirely. But I'm not entirely sure why Gorsuch and and Kavanaugh and Thomas are allowed. Just totally, it's totally cool that they perjured themselves. Uh, but yes, let's investigate the leak. But we're not going to have the FBI investigate Kavanaugh's uh, the very credible uh, accusations of sexual assault. Let's not investigate Clarissa. It's so the deck is completely stacked. So we need to focus and be very clear that they will do the worst. They will do whatever they can get away with, which by the way is everything because the deck is stacked, the system is rigged, which is why I've been saying for a while, and I know you have as well, the 2022 election, forget about the most important election in our lifetime because they all are. Like ever since 2016 or maybe 2010, they all have been. 2022, American democracy, the future of American democracy is preserved to fight and you know survive another day or it's over. It's that simple. The yeah, only I, I, way we can combat this is to elect more Democrats. That's the only thing we can do right now Mansion and Cinema will not do anything about the filibuster because I, you know, to it's maddening. Their argument is because it preserves democracy. Okay, the filibuster is going to end democracy, but whatever. I, I there, I don't pretend to understand how they think. Um, <laughs> and apparently, this uh, ridiculous Supreme Court committee that President Biden put together is not going to do anything either. Mm -hmm. um, so, short of expanding the court, you know, adding another. 15, 14 seats or so, it's all coming down to voting. And there's a activist wing, Mary, that troubles me a little bit because I feel like they're trying to depress the vote uh, or suppress our own vote. And it's fed by voices I see like Susan Sarandon who say, 
you told everyone to vote Democrat in the past and look what happened now. I'm never voting for Democrats again. Does that enrage you as much as it does me? I guess just to start. I, I, I cannot even tell you how much it enrages me. First of all, Susan Sarandon is a victim of the Dunning-Kruger effect. She's an idiot, but she thinks that she's some wise shaman or something. She's a complete idiot. She doesn't know what she's talking about. And if anybody can say with a straight face that the Democrats are the problem, I, I, I don't know what to tell them. It's, it's just, it's, it's a, if it weren't so tragic and dangerous, it would be absurd. Um, yeah, and now I heard Nita Turner, who's lost like 700 um, <laughs> elections yeah, she, in a she's, row. She's on quite uh, the streak. She's going <laughs> to challenge Biden as an independent yeah. because I don't know, eighth times the charm? <laughs> like how many times do you have to lose? And just the <laughs> arrogance of these fucking people that mm -hmm. they think that, that, you know, they know so much when, again, Nita Turner can't win an election if her life depended on it. And Susan Sarandon has never been right about anything. Like she was pretty decent in a couple of movies a few decades ago, but politically she's a moron and a dangerous one. Is there anything we could get through to people like that? Not necessarily them, the names that you said, but the people who they are speaking to, the people who they are mm. riling up, um, you know, the people who are protesting and should be on our side, but go, what, what have the Democrats done for me? Fuck this. I'm, I'm not voting for them. Like, is there any way to get through to these people? I have just these flashbacks now to 2016 to them saying the same things about Hillary Clinton. Why should right. I vote for that? And obviously that decision directly led to where we are today. It started with Al Gore and Ralph Nader. That's, That's so where it's so true. Al Gore would have, he did win that election. He would have won comfortably if the Susan Sarandons of the world hadn't decided to split the Democratic vote with a, you know, a, um, a vanity candidate like Ralph Nader. So, uh, you know, uh, these people have no credibility. I think it depends. You know, there are certain, uh, I call them the dude bros um, on the left that are unreachable. Uh, so I, I kind of not, not in terms of, you know, the things they advocate, but in terms of their uh, cult-like devotion to the impossible, <laughs> they're, they, they're like the Republic, parts of the Republican base. There's literally nothing you can say to these people, so let's not waste our time. But I think there is more room to convince some of them and we need to keep it very simple. Uh, you guys were on my strategy session episode a few weeks yeah, thank ago. Thank you for having and, us, by the way, that was fantastic. Absolutely yeah, and blast. you'll have to come back because I added a new segment at the end. It just kind of came to me spontaneously, which basically um, put my guests in a very awkward position. <laughs> but um, I was like, you know what? Let's, we all, at the end of the show, everybody needs to come up with a bumper sticker. And I think that's how, so my, my one, you know, uh, it's democracy or fascism 2022. The one I came up with last night is force birth versus freedom. You choose or not, you know? Uh, so if we can just make it as simple as possible, a vote for Republicans is a vote for fascism. Like what more does one need to say? A vote for Democrats is a vote for democracy. And if they don't, you know, if that's not convincing to them, then I just hope they all stay home. 
uh, because I I see people saying, you know, they're sick of the Democrats are going to vote for Donald. I mean, as if that's a reasonable alternative. <laughs> it's, it's, it's completely wild. And I, I, all you have to do is look at the states, too, that are run by Democrats. Right. I mean, look at Michigan. Look at the statement that uh, Dana Nessel made in Michigan, saying that she wasn't going to enforce that 1931 abortion ban law like that is what happens when you have Democrats in charge. You have people who are protecting your rights. And the fact is, our balance of power on a national scale just isn't there in that way. I personally, looking at it all, I don't know what more Democrats could possibly be doing to prevent these draconian laws because of the way our system is set up. I don't, I just don't know the answer. I was wondering if you do, because I feel like everybody out there wants to see Biden become some sort of benevolent dictator who could, with the stroke of a pen, tell everybody, you cannot do this, you cannot take away our rights. But that's not, the system is stacked against us. No pressure. I'll just come up with come the answer. Up. And after this, Mary, how do we solve world hunger? <laughs> uh, I, that I can answer. Tax Musk, Zuckerberg, and Bezos oh at the 90% tax rate that existed under the Eisenhower administration, where it had a strong, thriving middle class, and don't let them buy Twitter. That, there we go. There you go. One I think problem. if I had $46 billion, I'd want to feed children, but that's <laughs> it sounds me. It sounds like a better use of money than buying a social media app that doesn't make money, but. I guess if people on Twitter stop being mean to me, it might be worth it, but anyway, <laughs> slightly off topic. So what is the answer? Uh, <laughs> there's, there isn't a simple one because as you just said, the system is seriously broken. And we, you know, if we look at this simply in the context of the Supreme Court, uh, the, the numbers are like staggering and depressing. Um, this Supreme Court represents like 30% of Americans and how Americans mm. view not just Roe, but gun, gun laws and um, climate change and uh, marriage equality. They are a completely, as I've said, an undemocratic uh, institution in terms of uh, representation. But these, the three of them, um, were put in place by senators who represent 40 to 60 million fewer Americans than the Democrats who voted against these nominees. You know, so. There are no um, magic bullets in this scenario. You know, there are things though uh, that Biden can and should do, which will increase our chances, like get, getting rid of student debt, do it immediately. You know, um, it's, it's, and it, anybody complains about it because they paid their student debts, so like, okay, fine. So you think if we cure cancer, then too bad because other people <laughs> died from cancer. Yeah, it's the most obnoxious argument. <laughs> so obnoxious. So, and the other thing uh, that is very important that you alluded to is focusing, laser focusing on uh, the elections in this country that have the most electoral significance uh, this coming election. And that would be governor's races in Michigan, Pennsylvania, Georgia, Florida, um, and Governor focusing on- uh, attorneys general and secretaries of state races uh, at, at the state level, because those will determine whether or not 
democratic votes are counted when, and or democratic victories are allowed. Uh, so if we can overcome those hurdles in November, then that sets us up in a much better way uh, in 2024. However, in addition to all of those other things, we need to increase the seats in the Senate. My God, I can't think of anything more important because, well, yes, I can, <laughs> but it's a long depressing list. So let's just focus, um, you know, at least maintain our lead in the house and increase. We need to make mansion and uh, cinema irrelevant. Well, well, let's game it out because mm -hmm. what the Republicans want you to think is that, oh, this is a state's rights issue. We're going to put this back to the states. The states will have their own laws. It's going to be this wonky, weird patchwork of different laws, and women will have different rights in different states. That's kind of their vision. But mm -hmm. I have no doubt in my mind, and I'd love to get your take, that if Republicans did get control of the Senate, that they would pass a national abortion ban. They wouldn't stop here. This is just the beginning for them. The things that the Republicans will do in the first five seconds of uh, winning a majority uh, include that, um, getting rid of the filibuster, mm -hmm. undoing everything that Biden did, uh, at, you know, doubling the size of the federal judiciary to, to negate any of the progress Biden has made in that arena. And it just, you know, it just shows you how Democrats really need to get on board with fighting with uh, brass knuckles on. You know, we can't pretend anymore that there is a legitimate party to work with. Um, you know, bipartisan is not something we should even want anymore because to um, work with these people is to cede ground to fascists. And I don't really think that's what we should be doing. So mm -hmm. I'm glad that Senator Schumer is having a vote on the law to federalize abortion rights. It's symbolic because there's no way they're going to get 60 votes, but at least you're getting exactly. people on the record um, because uh, they never, ever seem to be Republicans, never seem to be asked to defend their positions on anything. But it is it is a, a sign of things to come if uh, Democrats do lose the majority, because you're you're right. I mean, the Republicans will stop at nothing. And in two years, this country will be unrecognizable. And um, 2020 may well have been our last free and fair election. What did you make of, you know, I know we always want the Democrats to put on brass knuckles and get out there and fight. Yesterday, I saw a lot of passion from Democrats out there. I saw a lot of people speaking out. Elizabeth Warren went out there. I thought she was angry as hell in the best way possible. And I was like, that is the kind of energy that we need. I saw Vice President Harris out there. She had some powerful words. What did you make of Democrats in general, how they kind of took to the streets and engaged with people? Yeah, it's, it's what should happen for sure. But again, it's reactive. Yeah. We, we keep losing the opportunity to, to frame these fights so that we don't lose them. <laughs> Texas kind of got dropped from the conversation. Hmm. Um, the language needs to be, we need to stop letting uh, Republicans co-op language and, and use it to help people avoid um, getting into the situation we're in now. I, I mean, it is true what these, law, these laws 
that are being passed. And now that the Supreme Court is um, basic is federalizing are pro, not just pro incest, they're pro uh, rapist, they're pro person who commits incest. Mm -hmm. You know, when when your rapist has has more rights than you do, that seems problematic to me. So it's not just about choice. It, it's, it's about the rights, utter contempt for human life. Uh, they are not, first of all, the whole pro-life thing is, it needs to go out the window. They, they are not pro-life. They never have been pro-life. Um, I saw on Twitter, somebody said, you know, Republicans uh, care more about the sanctity of a one hour old zygote than they do about a 12 year old who's just been raped by her father. Mm. That's how we need to be framing this conversation so that the other dominoes don't fall. Um, because imagine, imagine what happens if um, marriage equality goes out the window, if birth control, rights to birth control go out the window, if all of the uh, hard fought LGBTQ rights get thrown out. Um, so, you know, there is, we can't pull punches. We just can't. And Republicans have been on the offensive now for decades and decades and decades, which I think makes their reaction to this leak all the more strange because you would think that they'd be throwing parties, they'd be celebrating, they'd be spiking the football, but instead they're diverting attention. They're focusing on the aspect of the leak and aren't even celebrating their win. I mean, this is a win for them psychologically as a psychologist, Mary. They're playing the victim too, Brett. They're like, yep. like, how could you leak this? We're the ones that- Yeah, they're the victims. And, and we the victim. tweeted yesterday, sorry, Supreme Court and Republicans, you're not the victims. The women who you just made second-class citizens are the victims here. Why do you think though, they're all of a sudden not celebrating something that they've been fighting for, for 50 plus years? Yeah. And also just as a quick aside, um, I don't really care about the Supreme Court's right to privacy because they don't seem to care about mine. Um, <laughs> so, Brilliant. well, I think that they're really worried that one of their greatest weapons, the thing that they've used as a cudgel against Democrats to, to get their uh, voters to the polls has been taken out of their arsenal, um, which makes you then wonder, why does the, the illegitimate majority on the Supreme Court not worried about that? Uh, I have to be completely honest. I'm a little surprised that the Republican uh, party as, in, as a whole is worried about that because they've been spending the last many years uh, gaming the system so that they don't need a majority to win ever. And they haven't had one. I think they've won the, the popular vote like once in the last like eight elections or something. Yeah. So they know they don't need a majority. They keep using extreme gerrymandering. They keep passing uh, voter suppression laws and they are now engaging at a, a national level in voter subversion. I mean, that's what pulling out of the debates is all about. That's what hiring, uh, sorry, electing candidates for secretary of state um, who claim that 2020 was stolen and you know they're gonna make sure that only Republicans ever win. That's what that's all about too. So I, I am a little surprised about the muted reaction. Um, 
maybe maybe they're just they're not as confident uh as i thought they were and maybe it means that um those those five despicable people on the supreme court are just true believers who don't care about electoral consequences they just want to push their agenda um on the rest of us because they're religious fanatics and mary something that i've noticed over the last few days is when you have conversations like the one we're having now when you have conversations with fellow democrats just very compassionate very normal well-tempered conversa uh, conversations but when you go into that weird gop echo chamber <laughs> of the right I mean, what we were hinting at before, they're obsessed about talking about the leak. The leak to them has become the bigger issue than Roe. I mean, it's absolutely insanity. Is this a way of them to deflect? Is this a way for them to hide from it? Why do you think they're making the leak the, center, uh, the centerpiece of the story? It's definitely about deflecting, for sure. Mm -hmm. uh, it's changing the subject entirely for them. Um, and it... It's um, blaming, so the Supreme Court is, is becoming one of the least trusted <laughs> institutions in America, rightly so. It's seen as being increasingly politicized. Um, you know, we have uh, some of them going out to very partisan groups and talking about how non-political the Supreme Court is. So, um, the legitimacy of the court is is has been in danger for some time now because of the court. Uh, by focusing on the leak um, and suggesting that it's some random clerk, uh, which somebody did on Twitter, it's like like targeted this one woman, like oh, geez. Yeah, ba no based based on nothing. And and by the way, we've nothing. we've been the target of Twitter threads like that too, where people will accuse us of something that we have nothing to do with, and then because it is in a Twitter thread and has sixteen thousand likes, everybody yeah. assumes that it has to be true. <laughs> it's it, insane, right? Which is why uh, tweets like that always need to be reported. Um, so the truth of the matter is, it's well. No, I honestly, I have no idea who leaked it. My guess is it was sanctioned by one of the justices. It makes mm. more sense to me that would it be it would be one of the justices in the majority. I don't see what what the justices in the minority would gain from this at all. Um, but the, focusing on the leak is a way to refocus our attention on why the Supreme Court is illegitimate, not because of the court, but because people are out to get it. I think that's partially what's happened there. Hmm, Plus also, no. you know, five people just decided that half of the country aren't fully realized human beings. <laughs> so there's that. Oh my goodness. And, and I have one more for you, Mary. Um, I'm not asking specifically, you know, on behalf of myself, but I think people out there really want to know, you know, what does an ally look like in your eyes during a time like this? How can we all be better allies? That's such a great question. And it is such an important thing uh, to talk about. So I appreciate that. Um, you know, I'm sure you saw, um, Mallory McMorrow, uh, Michigan state Senator, I, her remarks on the Senate floor, um, in response to, uh, a fundraising email from one of her Republican colleagues, uh, accusing McMorrow of being a groomer and being pro pedophile you know, which is basically what they're saying about all Democrats these days, even though they're the ones who are pro-pedophile. Um, and a lot of them are pedophiles too. 
Yeah. Uh, she said she described herself as a straight, white, married, Christian, suburban mom. And she said it twice. Um, her point, of course, being that with the exception of woman now, <laughs> Uh, those other categories are majority categories that have, um, because of historically, um, that grant her certain privileges that do not extend to people in minority groups. Um, so that's important because it's always more powerful, unfortunately, when people in the privileged group are fighting for the rights of those not in the privileged group because it's it it just carries more weight because it's seen as selfless or something plus the power that is conferred upon being a white man in America. Um, so the more we can um, be allies for each other, you know, straight for LGBTQ white for people of color, et cetera, et cetera. I think the, the more we, we all can um, be galvanized around some really basic principles because it's, you know one of the problems, I mean, it's a good problem, but it's, it can be unwieldy. The Democrats are so diverse. The Democratic party mm. is so diverse and there are so many tensions and we're we're pulling in so many different directions that I think sometimes it is it is easy to forget that we all uh, basically stand for the same things. We all want people's lives to be better. Um, and allyship also, it helped, I think it helps people understand, you know what? Um, yes, taking away Roe v. Wade, women are the people, uh, pregnant people are those who will suffer the most. Uh, who are who are being directly targeted, but it, it affects all of us mm -hmm. because you know guys don't necessarily want to be like if they you know if they're in a relationship and and there's an accidental pregnancy and the you know both people obviously it's entirely the woman's decision but if a woman is forced to carry the baby to term I mean then then if the guy is a decent human being then that affects him too. Uh, you know, it affects all of us when other people's rights are taken away, or it should. Um, so by having our backs, um, you know, when men have women's backs, it, it just, it lifts the burden. And it also, I think it, it helps people see that this is not just um, you know, a niche problem. Mm -hmm. it, it's a, it's an enormous problem that uh, requires the kind of response that unites all of us who care at all about uh, the quality of other people's lives. You know, the Eighth Amendment uses this language to say that we, the Constitution does not support cruel and unusual punishment. And those words, just cruel and unusual, I think of no other words that kind of best describe, I mean, there's lots of other words, but that, but that, that, that truly describe this Republican Party and what they're doing. I mean, it is cruel. And it's also just 
and unusual. And that's such a weird word, unusual, when you think about it, how it's used there, because the cruelty is really rooted and it seems like a just a hatred. It's so deeply rooted. It's unusual because it's also self-hate. Lots of the Republicans who are going out are just projecting the things that they are, <laughs> you know, and it's it's this attack on just kind of fundamental humanity. And it's that hypocrisy that we all see, but have rarely called out. And Mary, you've called that out in such a stark way. And that's why we so appreciate you always coming on. The pod is really calling out that cruel and unusual party and people as the GOP. It's such a good thing to focus on um, because, and, and I think Democrats need to be better at, at this. Pregnancy is a complicated, expensive, long-term proposition. This is nine months and it's dangerous. Bringing a baby to term is dangerous, especially if you're a woman of color uh, because of racism in uh, the healthcare community um, and because of racism in general uh, and in, in a complete misunderstanding of the history of how uh, Black women in particular have been treated. And to tell somebody that they have to go through this, even if they don't want to, is cruel, unusual, despicable, um, unthinkable. And yet, um, you know, that seems to be completely fine uh, with men and women on the right. Um, and I also think it's important to point out that for those people who are against abortion, Roe v. Wade doesn't infect, doesn't have any effect on them because they don't have to get an abortion if they don't want to, even if Roe v. Wade remains the law of the land, which it's not going to. The utter hypocrisy of it too, though, it's you can force a woman to go through this, even if she's been raped, even if the woman is a child, who's been raped by a relative and uh, then pregnancy becomes infinitely more dangerous for young, for young children. Um, but how dare you tell me to wear a mask or get vaccinated? Are you fucking kidding me? It's, you know, again, if it weren't so tragic and hideous, it would be well, it is absurd, but it isn't funny. I, it's just, just mind blowing the selfishness of these people. Uh, it, and I think we need to focus more on the cruel and unusual aspect of all of this, because again, once the baby is born, they don't give a shit. So true. Trevor Noah said, and I thought it was so apt. He said all these years when the right wing was railing against the Taliban, it just turned out they were jealous. <laughs> and that they and that that's actually what they wanted and 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 that, that that's what it's done for mary trump thank you so much for being on this podcast we always appreciate you and i do want to say well it's definitely a rough week for the nation we do want to say happy birthday it was your birthday, birthday this mary. week and i've always felt that you and i as opposed to the other brothers had like the strongest intellectual <laughs> connection and we're both choruses, so it kind of made sense when I found out it was it was. Everybody oh, knows, interesting. Everybody knows I'm Mary's favorite. 
<laughs> Mary Trump, thank you for joining us on the podcast. Thank you guys so much. Take care. We'll be right back after these messages. For the most important news of the day, massive news dump, handwritten contemporaneous notes. The Treasury needs to hand over Trump's taxes. With the most compelling interviews, please welcome Congressman Adam Schiff, Molly Jong Fast, Mike McFaul, Andrew Weissman, Barb McQuaid, Glenn Kirshner, Colonel Alexander Venman, former ambassador to Ukraine, Marie Yovanovitch, and all the appropriate profanity. Lawsuit to block that sh- Captain Douche, immigration executive order. Anyone that stupid should just not be in Congress. Renowned cowardly face Kevin McCarthy, the leader of the douche. Even Mary Trump agrees. Joining this binder full of women, curating the news from the left with appropriate profanity. Listen weekday mornings to The Daily Beans, left-leaning news from a woman's perspective. We make the news bearable by making it swearable. So put some beans on it with Dana Goldberg, Amy Carrero, and me, Allison Gill. And who doesn't like that? This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Welcome back to the Midas Touch podcast. So great always having friend of the pod, Mary Trump, who's become such a good personal friend of ours. Yes. I really do feel like Mary Trump is an extension of our family now. Like, like Couldn't truly, agree more. Um, even from the very, very first, like Mary Trump was the very like first <laughs> When we were on Sirius, serious interview that we did on Sirius and we had Mary Trump and, you know, so it was just a, it was a big moment in our kind of, uh, you know, development in, in the space. Um, and it was great that she gave us an opportunity and now um, that we can have these great community, you know, these great conversations with her that I think are helpful. Um, I want to bring to attention some good news and hopeful news in a nice. sea of some, you know, Republican dystopian efforts. And the good news is first Democrats won big in a Michigan state house race and a GOP stronghold. Brett, tell us about Democrat Carol Glanville's win. Yeah. Let me tell you about it. Let me tell you about Democrat Carol Glanville. So she won in a district that Trump won by 16 points in 2020. This is a seat that the previous GOP candidate won by 26 points. And it's a seat that has only been held by Republicans throughout history. So it's a major, major, major shift towards Democrats. And the candidate who she was going up with was a guy named Robert R.J. Regan, who was an absolutely disgusting, typical Republican. This guy was most famous for saying, and this was a quote that he had, that other people, the other Republicans in the conversation laughed at when he said this, where he said, I always tell my daughters if they get raped to just lie back and enjoy it. That was the famous comment of Robert Regan. These are the kind of people who are legislating <laughs> your bodies. These are, these are disgusting people. So I am happy that this district of Michigan rebuked him and rebuked those statements in a big way. And it goes to show you, and I think a lot of the candidates that we've also highlighted on this show in previous weeks, whether it be people like Karen Berg or Mallory McMorrow, is that Democrats can win in Trump strongholds 
when they speak with the voters. And I think it shows that Democrats do have a very good shot of fighting back against the Republicans in 2022 during this midterm cycle as they become more and more and more radical and out of touch with the American people. We have a message that resonates with working people. We have a message that resonates with everyday Americans. And I think perhaps one of the people who will resonate most with working Americans is also we need to give a big congratulations to Representative Tim Ryan, who I think is one of the best Democratic politicians, one of the best Democratic messengers out there who won his primary for the Ohio Senate. That means he will be facing off against venture capitalist J.D. Vance, who was previously a never Trumper who sold his soul to get a Trump endorsement, despite calling Donald Trump America's Hitler previously in statements. He's a guy who threw away all of his values, who's gotten over $10 million just in like the last week from Peter Thiel, a venture capitalist from the San Francisco area, co-founded PayPal. This Literally, they rail against big tech. This guy is the yeah. epitome of big tech. He is the epitome of a coastal elite. Everything that the Republicans speak about, sending jobs overseas, J.D. Vance represents all of that. Tim Ryan is a working class Ohio guy who knows how to speak with voters, who's been one of the most passionate, one of the most fiercest advocates of working people on the House floor. I am incredibly excited about Tim Ryan's candidacy. Hope to get him on the show again soon. I think we have good candidates. Um, We here at Midas Touch are watching all the news, watching all the primary wins, and are every single day tweaking our strategy to figure out how we can best defeat, defeat Republicans this fall. We can do this. We must do this. We cannot sit any elections out. We have seen what happens if Republicans get even a little bit of power. So remember to vote blue up and down the ballot. Remember to stay in this fight. I know it is incredibly difficult. I know you can wake up day in and day out. I know I do stressed, anxious, helpless, but that's why we all need to be in this together. We all need to be our support system. We all need to have each other's backs and we all need to push forward and fight for the America that we want to see every single day. And all our Pennsylvania listeners, we've got an election coming up May 17th here in Pennsylvania. Got to vote for the primaries. Got to vote. Get out that vote for Josh Shapiro for governor. All right. We appreciate everybody for joining us on the Midas Touch podcast today. We need to keep fighting. This is not a doom and gloom episode. This is a get out of your seats and do something episode. This is we need action right now. We need not to get complacent, not to get discouraged. We need to make sure that, as we say in the ad that we produced, Republicans took away your right to choose. Now take away their right to govern. And before we go, I want to talk briefly or let Brett talk about it. Brett, Brett's I'm the biggest Brian Tyler Cohen fan, I think, but it's possibly Brett's a slightly bigger Brian Tyler. Can Cohen. I just say this right before we get into the I feel like Brian's like a like a hybrid of all three brothers, just like built into one like super <laughs> soldier brother. I, <laughs> you guys get that feeling? 
that's a very that's a very very funny very funny call brian brian is an incredible like has an incredible work ethic work ethic and he's an incredible messenger and does these youtube videos day in and day out like if you have been on youtube or facebook we could guarantee you've seen a video from brian tyler cohen he's releasing one sometimes two sometimes three videos daily but brian also hosts one of the country's top ranked political podcasts it's called no lie with brian tyler cohen where he breaks down the biggest story of the week and interviews the biggest names in politics. I mean, listen to this list. He sat down with President Biden, Kamala Harris, Elizabeth Warren, Katie Porter, Jamie Raskin, Pete Buttigieg, Nancy Pelosi, and on and on and on. When we say big names, it doesn't get any bigger than that. I mean, the guy interviewed the president of the United States. It doesn't get bigger than that. So make sure to check out No Lie with Brian Tyler Cohen, the podcast, and see why he has more than 2 million subscribers across the social media platforms and why his videos have been viewed more than a billion with a B times. It's a political podcast that cuts right to the point, focuses on the issues that you care about, and it's a destination for our leaders in the House, the Senate, and the White House. That's No Lie with Brian Tyler Cohen, and it's available anywhere you listen to podcasts. Go check it out. Thank you, everybody, for listening to the Midas Touch podcast. We will see you next time. Let's keep fighting for democracy, can we? Shout out to the Midas Midas.